0: This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business Podcast. When we record episodes, we're often trying to find the most experienced people in a given space or sector, people that really have something unique and important to say. We've had heads of AI at US Bank or Zurich Insurance or a former head of AI at HSBC in, in the financial services side. Today, we're talking more on the manufacturing and aerospace side, and who better than Peter too? Who is Peter 2? Well, he is the chief scientist for artificial intelligence at GE Global Research. GE, obviously one of the largest companies in the world, certainly one of America's better known business brands. And Peter 2 gets to work with this giant organization at the very forefront of where they're leveraging artificial intelligence. In their operations. This episode is part of our special AI is Here series. And so the focus is where is AI making a difference today? And Peter gives us a perspective we've never had on the show before. He talks about the use of AI in the manufacturing plant to produce things. He talks about the maintenance of those manufacturing pieces of equipment. Then he talks about the maintenance and upkeep. Of the equipment that comes off the factory line and ends up getting used in the world. A very full circle perspective on how data can inform maintenance processes and optimize for specific outcomes whether again it's the performance of manufacturing equipment or in this case some equipment in the aerospace domain. And what I like about this episode is where all the dots connect. Peter talks about some of the challenges of bringing these things to life and some of the things that GE had to overcome, but also about at a a high level, what are those transferable lessons across these different elements of heavy industry that have really made AI start to come to life? And again, these are applications that Peter is mentioning here are, are in use with GE today. As I mentioned earlier, this is a special AI is here episode. AI is here is brought to you by SambaNova Systems. SambaNova believes that AI is here and we've partnered with them to bring you leading experts in varied industries. They've given us some wide leeway to find the best, the best experts in different sectors and get to ask questions I'd want to ask anyway. Namely, where is AI hitting the ground running? And today, manufacturing, aerospace. That is where we're focused. So I'm grateful to have Peter 2 here with us. We'll talk more about Sambanova in the outro here, but without further ado, let's fly into this episode. This is Mr. Peter 2 himself here on the AI in Business podcast. So Peter, thank you for joining us again here on the program. Great to be back. Yeah, it was a pleasure having you last time, and today we're getting to focus on the near-term use cases of AI and what's really hitting the ground running. In the AI and sort of research side of GE, you touch a lot of industries, but we're honed in today on sort of aerospace and power, domains that obviously when it comes to those spaces, there's hardly a bigger name than GE. So you guys have hands in a lot of stuff, and on the AI side, that's your world. When you think about the use cases at that intersection in that space that really are making
1: a difference today
0: what are the ones that are making the biggest dent?
1: Yeah, thanks, Dan. Yeah, those are great questions. So I think there's an interesting view of what AI today is. And, and I would describe AI today as the, one of the biggest advantages we've been able to achieve is statistical inference. You could sort of glibly describe this as y equals f of x problems, where x are things that you can observe and y are what's known as latent variables that you're trying to interpret. So when it comes to industry, we see a large number of use cases for that basic problem. This can come from the perspective of how do I control a process? How do I predict when something has gone wrong with that process? How do I know what will happen in the future with that process? And then based on that future predictions... What should I do best in order to plan for how to accommodate those possible outcomes? Yes. So I'll be a little bit specific about that. So one of the areas that I think have, have really taken off is the question of inspection. We have a large number of parts that we construct. It could be an aircraft engine blade. It could be a nozzle. And there are two elements to that, to that part. It has a lifetime. It will have to, when it's first constructed, it has to satisfy certain specifications. Those specifications could be the shape of the object, the size of the object. It could have whether or not there are defects such as cracks or pits and so forth. So this ability to use visual inspection and other inspection is quite strong. So the the, the visual cues or the other sensor cues are the things that you can measure off of this part. And then the why, which is doesn't know, is whether it meets spec or not. Is its shape? Is its mouth? Is its, its defects? Are they within spec or not? So that's one level. Then the next question is: Well, once this part has been used, you know, an aircraft engine has been in service for n number of cycles, we have to inspect these these parts and to tell them are they still satisfactory? Are they? Damage may have occurred, but is that damage to the point where it needs to be replaced or serviced or fixed? So once again, these inspection capabilities start creeping in all the time. So once you look at it at a part level, then you can also look at it from a device level. And this is where we start to see dedicated sensors. So sensors that could be embedded to do with temperature, it could do with vibration, all over these big devices that we have. And now we're really interested in things like time to failure. What's the probability that this device will fail in the next 20 cycles, 50 cycles, 100 cycles? If we understand those time to failures, then we can get to a position where, okay, this this device needs to come in for servicing now. Whether these devices can probably, with high confidence, continue in service without requiring direct inspection or direct servicing, if you will. So a large number of problems come down to these uh, lifing problems, these time to failure problems, and one of the challenges with with AI in this respect is that you know if I were to design an entire device or fleet of devices with AI in mind, I would have instrumented it this way. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, we have to live with the legacy that we are with today. Yes. And the sensors that we have may not necessarily be the ones we would want it, and so therefore. We might not get the glimpse that we want to have. So I would suggest that's the next level of where AI has come in, is to take these signals and understand what is the certain properties of these devices that they're going to... And I would say maybe at the third level would be maybe at the factory level. I've got an entire process with which I'm trying to move or, how should I say, produce a number of things in a certain period of time. I may have Logistics problems associated with supply chains and so forth. Where I think the big challenge here is now we're looking at the factory itself. There's yeah. n number of sensors, n number of complex processes going on, on these things, and we've coined terms and other people use them as well. Things like digital twins. How do we model these relatively complex systems in order to understand? You know, and these digital twins may maybe more to do with the with the part or the device, but it can also be viewed at the, at the factory level as well. Here the problem tends to be AI thrives on data, meaning I have 10,000 million samples of this particular data set, and I've learned over time statistically, how do these X's map to these Y's? The problem with looking at factories is that to some extent they're like snowflakes. You may have learned a lot about factory in Minnesota those learnings those samples that data that knowledge may only have somewhat relevance to a similar factory in another state for for various reasons yeah yeah um, and and that's a challenge right so the scalability of ai is in front of dealing with that that level of complexity and that sort of snowflake factor is, is is a big problem. Does that make sense?
0: It, it completely does. And there's a lot to unpack here. Let me see if I can try to nutshell some of what we're holding in our hands from what you've laid on the table. So right. when we're talking about the current impact of sort of AI in this power and aerospace domain, this areas that might bundle their, their way under heavy industry, there's a few things you're articulating. One is we have a factory that's making stuff and there is a way to track and look at all the sensors and the performance of that overall system. I imagine there might even be visual inspection and inspection yep. of some kind of the things that come out of that factory or, or right. while yep. while they're being produced. So we have the manufacturing as this big, complicated uh, system with all these sensors that we can kind of monitor performance, figure out when it's going to break down. We have inspection of the stuff it's making. Then we have inspection of that same stuff when it's in the real world and seeing if That's it's right. going to break down when it's in the real world. So inspection of it off the conveyor belt, inspection of it when it's in the darn world. And then we also have the application of sensors- to those big systems that those parts yep. are a part of, such as a jet engine or an airplane right, or right, whatever right. the case may be. So, we sort of have inspection on both the manufacturing and the real world kind of transportation side. And then we have the kind of predictive maintenance sensor optimization stuff on both sides. And certainly in both cases, to your point, we deal with the snowflake scenario. No two factories right. are the same. You know, when we work with people that are working with even very small machinery, they'll say, hey, no CNC presses are the same yep. exactly, right? There's exactly. one of them There's one of them that has been working on different uh, kinds of outputs for a while, and so it runs a little bit differently for some weird reason. Or even if they're both right off the shelf and operating in the same conditions, sometimes different sensors are going to act differently, and, and we're going to have to kind of deal with their idiosyncrasies. It doesn't sound mm-hmm. like that's entirely prevented these technologies from making a dent. Clearly that's a barrier. What do you think has allowed this industry, you know, five years ago, maybe this was even more of a daunting task than it is today. What do you think has allowed us to see ROI and see an impact in the space despite those challenges?
1: Well, part of it has been the algorithmic advances we've had. I would say a large number of AI attempts in the past have been based on models that we have try to craft an engineer by by hand, if you will. You know, I, I believe this is this particular mathematical formulation and lo and behold, it doesn't really apply to that much. What we've learned through deep learning and other statistical inference engines is that if we can go more from the data to the outcome, we do well. Now, I don't want to suggest that everything is data-driven. The physics itself is also important. So the, the understanding of the physics of thermodynamics, of friction of chemical processes material properties the more and more that we've been able to inject that innate scientific knowledge we've had into these data driven models i think has given us a significant boost in terms of their robustness for two reasons one you don't if you actually understand the physics of a thing you need less data to understand the phenomenon around that. If you don't understand the physics, the data is going to have to teach you both the statistics and the physics itself. Huh. So I think our ability to inject physics directly into these deep learners and, and other methods, I think that has provided a kind of robustness to two things. One, the snowflake factor, and two, the fact that, that data samples themselves may be limited. And, and maybe I can also add one other thing to that is that there's one thing about the you know, variability of the part, the variability of the things, but also there's the variability of the experience of that part. So if you run an aircraft engine in Saudi Arabia, for instance, you're going to have a lot more sand to deal with than if you did run that thing in sort of Nova Scotia. Yeah. Whereas also if you knew that that, that aircraft had five hard landings in the last six months, that's going to be a big difference between something that has had nice soft landings for the last two years. And so as we've used these AI coupled with our experiences of these devices in the real world, we're starting to understand more of the nuances associated with these experiences. And that starts to add more and more towards the robustness of these systems. So as, as we see yeah. more and more uptake, I think those are the types of things that are contributing to it, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And I've got one other question here on the near term before we pivot to the future, yep. which is where I know you spend a lot of your mental time there, where where are things going, where are things headed. But just to kind of wrap some of this stuff here, I, I actually feel like, and I'd love to know if you agree, you know, following heavy industry for the last half a decade, myself here getting a chat with whether it's you know, folks at Caterpillar or other, you know, big companies uh, or startups working in the space, it feels like there was this golden dream of grandly transferable predictive maintenance, you know, from similar machine to similar machine or identical machine to identical machine. And it seems like actually a lot of the progress of the tech has been literally embracing, we really need subject matter experts in the room, we really need to deal with the variability, and we need to buckle up for all of that up front and set those expectations up front. And of course, the technological advances have also helped us as you've brought up, and you're very close to that side of things. But it feels like actually the acceptance of the fact that this isn't easy and we need multiple brains in the room has actually been kind of necessary to get to where we are now, where you're, you're yep, saying yep. this is a really impactful tech.
1: Oh, well, I agree. I mean, the, the idea of where where, well, where does this scientific knowledge comes from? It comes from the practitioners. It comes from people who have experience with these devices that have been hard won. So I, I I view your point there about needing the wisdom of people who really understand these things to incorporate that wisdom into the modeling process that we're trying to use. At the end of the day, I think it's and also, there's also a question of expectations, and there's also a question of acceptance. You might have a great system at your disposal, but if it's a black box and the output of that black box is actually quite important, meaning uh, lives could be lost, assets could be destroyed, there is significant risk. I think, unless you can explain why an AI is making the decision what it's doing. I think the willingness to accept just a black box technology is is getting less and less, simply because if you don't know why it's made this decision, then how can you really trust it? I mean, this you know, we, we've seen how adversarial attacks with just a few pixels here and there can break a stop sign detector. I think that's even more so when you're dealing with critical systems that are going to be governing the control of a, an aircraft engine while it's in flight. I don't think any of us would really like to have that Control system driven by some sort of neural network, inscrutable device yes, that's yes, just making yes. decisions for us. I would want to know the theory behind why that decision. Why did you turn off that engine, or why did you throttle down at that time? These to me are are in critical uh, questions. So, the explainability of AI is premised on the theory, and to your point, the the expertise of the domain experts who we have to encapsulate on there. So, I think if I can't an I can't convince a domain expert why this is a good decision. I don't think adoption of that AI is going to be happening in the near future.
0: Totally agreed. And again, I think back, you know, even half a decade ago, hey, put the pro you know, these guys all have PhDs from Carnegie Mellon, give them the problem, let them sit in a dark room for a long time. And, you know, they'll just come out and we'll be able to like have the subject matter experts really embrace it and use it on a daily basis. Definitely understood to be a very common failure pattern and That's certainly part of the advancement. When we think about if we could just kind of put one maybe tangible example out here, the predictive maintenance side of things, the visual inspection side of things, making an impact today, it's in the world today, it's affecting the bottom line today. Is there an example of sort of whether it's visual inspection or predictive maintenance that you like to use to explain one of those use cases to business people? I'd love to kind of have one tangible one we could use whether it's a jet engine or whatever and then we'll swivel to the future let me know if there's one you you prefer right right right. so
1: you know i often look at aircraft engine blades themselves as extremely important the geometry of these things are important their ability to perform under high temperature and high speed is critical so the construction of these devices is, is especially with with complex structures is challenging there are going to be defects. These things can't be, and if not at the beginning, certainly after wear and tear, there will be defects. So I would suggest that one of the winning capabilities that we have seen is the ability to take into this process the ability to automatically recognize whether or not a part is within spec or not and to characterize the state of that part so we could determine whether or not it needs to be, uh, in this case, an aircraft engine blade, to determine whether that blade needs to be replaced refurbished or allowed to continue in operation so first of all is it does it meet spec to begin with and be what's the state of this thing and can it be maintained? because at the end of the day these are very expensive parts very expensive to take out of service if you take an aircraft engine out of service that's that's loss of revenue so to me that ability to automate that process as much as you can has been a success
0: yeah and and talk a little bit about i guess what data goes into the flow and and how it actually what the output is for the end user whoever the inspector is right, to kind right, of use right. that that stuff what does it look like in the world to to do this detection
1: so imagine if you will you you take an aircraft engine blade you put it into a robot which has a certain fixture it places it in certain locations it will take various imagery of it from different modalities it could be pixel based it could be hyperspectral it could be thermal imagery and then from that, it creates a report. It says the following criteria were met in terms of this. It could be sort of shape of the lead edge of the blade. It could be known defects. And it could also be a, a reference of how those defects may have changed since the last time that was either inspected or when it was produced initially. So a lot of times you want to track over time how certain elements such as a crack or a pit have evolved. If, if It may be a crack, maybe benign. But if N number of cracks at some point together meet together, that's when it becomes critical. and needs to be brought to the attention of, yeah. of a manufacturer. So it's, it's not just the state, but it's the history of that device, if you will, that becomes important.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So essentially, AI serves the role of this kind of investigation analysis, produces a kind of report, and then a human being gets to be informed by that report yeah. to say, okay, which of these blades do we want to inspect more deeply? Exactly. And I imagine this would save a lot of time compared to Let's have a human inspect every blade with the same amount of veracity. Maybe this will even help us with prioritizing, hey, we yeah. if we only have so much time, how many of these do we want to inspect to actually prevent damage? feels like there's an efficiency play kind of There's there. an
1: efficiency, and there's also, I would argue, a level of objectivity as well. If we have people do all of this, certain people will have high tolerances, certain people will have low tolerances. If you have, some people are more skilled, some people are less skilled. Yeah. If you're you're you going to have to take that innate variability into account. To some extent I would say AI will have variability but that variability will be more known if you will. Yes, yes, yes. Well.
0: <laughs> and you know, when it comes to medical diagnostics or any yeah. any similar domain to what you're talking about where we're kind of prioritizing the problem areas for a human to then in- inspect They wouldn't want to believe that, of course, but in in some cases, I think it actually is quite a strong argument. So I'm with you in that regard. Just being mindful of time here, I'd love to swivel to the future. You're talking about today, this world where in the manufacturing plant, we've got sensors and we're monitoring the performance of this robust system to produce things. We're inspecting stuff that's being made. That stuff is made. It's put into the world. We're inspecting it when it's being used in the world, such as that engine blade that you just talked about. Uh, which we can examine and then produce a report, and then we've got the predictive maintenance of the whole darn engine or or, or the, the airplane itself or whatever the case may be. Data is kind of waking up these cold assets, and like you yeah. said, if you could have designed them with AI in mind, you would have. But you know, we, we are kind of tacking things onto older systems. Where does this take the future? You know, value is mm-hmm. starting to emerge even from magnet sealing, glue sealing these sensors mm-hmm. onto older equipment. W- what does the
1: future world look like? Right. Right. So from my perspective, I look at what AI sort of in controlled situations and AI in the wild, right? So to some degree, if I can pose all the problems in advance in a very specific way, such as I want to measure this variable or I want to interpret or infer what the value of this variable is, I think AI is well poised for those problems. May not necessarily be easily done. The data might, you know, the X's may not necessarily map to a Y's in a scrutable way, those are different ones. But in essence, we know generally how to do those problems. Where I think we need to go is what I would call AI in the wild. So when we're running an engine or a windmill for it, or wind turbine, I should say, in the, in the real world environment where there are different conditions happening to it, maybe uh, a seagull goes into the, to the nozzle or maybe or a seagull hits yeah. a, a wind turbine. These th- things happen. But what's going to happen more and more is what I call unanticipated events. So, if I, the engineer, ahead of time can anticipate a particular problem or a particular task that I want my AI to do, we can do that. The problem that happens as you go into the wild is if I don't anticipate this circumstance, how do I have my AI response? So, if I have a so, what, what I would call the the next quest of AI has to be going from I'm not in charge of solving a particular task. I am now responsible for the operation of this device or this thing in real world circumstances. So to me, that comes down to this capability of understanding what I call the gist of things and doing the right thing. So if if you can imagine a situation where the aircraft engine for some reason is flown through a volcano ash plume, it may never have occurred to anybody that uh, we would do such a thing. But if it did, what do you do now, right? And and now you have to understand, well, what does it mean when ashes are hitting? Not, not rocks, but ashes. What does that mean chemically? What does that infer? Well, no one has given me that problem ahead of time, yet I have to sort of infer or get the gist of things. I think this is the most, this is the thing we got. We have to divert airflow at this point in time. We have to change the speed to this level. So it's those dynamic decisions, which even you and I would be challenged with, I would argue. Yeah. But those are the things that, you know, if, and if you're going to have driverless cars, if you're going to have, you know, CT machines working with people with different unexpected circumstances, and then we're going to have operation of all our big assets in the real world. What happens, and if you have both a uh, I know in Saudi Arabia, if you have a large gas turbine, what happens if you have both a sandstorm and a typhoon hits it simultaneously? Yeah. You know, what What do you do? Or if something has happened that you know maybe someone dropped a wrench into this thing or inadvertently put a part in wrong, what do you do? The number of possible things are are, are beyond anticipation. If we're going to really trust these AIs, they're going to have to have that gift that we have, which is even though I didn't anticipate the situation, I can sort of get the gist of things. I can get the meaningful understanding of these things. I'm grounded sufficiently in these concepts that I can understand what's really important, what's really going on, and then making the right decision. And I think that's the future of AI.
0: Yeah. And just to, to nutshell this as we wrap up, the biggest thing that defines the vision you've articulated and the vision that hopefully our leaders tuned in are going to give some thought to seems to be a different kind of relationship between man yep. and machine. Sort of this acceptance yep. that, you know, my job maybe isn't to steer this one thing or push this set of buttons to, to serve this role, but to sort of orchestrate and observe these various sensors and be able to work with the prompts yep. and intelligence of the machine to sort of, you know, have this kind of executive function over something that kind of is smart unto itself. I mean, that's a different way of training people, training pilots, training yep. engineers. I mean, it feels like that's going to be one of the cultural challenges here, but let me know your yeah. thoughts. I'm just imagining how we're going to make it.
1: Well, you know, I think humans are are very interesting in the sense that we have a, taken advantage of co-evolution to a large degree. It can be argued that when humans started living with canines, we kind of learned not just to you know, exploit each other, but we, we created a new thing, a, a human canine existence. I think that might be happening with our AIs to some extent, is that they will expand. I mean, we will be able to concentrate more on the things that we do better, but in a way that the AI might free us from that. So I think this co-evolution of people and AIs will be an interesting thing. And I think it will happen in our manufacturing processes and other processes as well is that it's not just going to be an efficiency game. It'll be a situation where I can relegate certain responsibilities to my AIs, and I can take on new responsibilities that I couldn't have done before. And the combination of the two, I think, will take us some interesting places, is my suspicion.
0: Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you what, that's a podcast unto itself, Peter, and hopefully we <laughs> have the excuse to do it. The, the The future of sort of where the symbiosis ends, everywhere from work to leisure to you name it. I mean, it will be interesting as heck in the next 15 years, that's for sure. I'm aware of where we are in time for this episode. But Peter, it's been a pleasure having you back on the program. Always fun to chat. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, Dan. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time.
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business Podcast. A big thank you to Peter 2 for being with us. I hope that as our listener, this kind of full circle approach to the leveraging of data in heavy industry was helpful. I liked the ability to talk about maintenance in manufacturing and then maintenance for what gets pumped off the manufacturing line. How are those similar? How are those different? Where are the dots connected? What are the questions we need to ask to make those come to life? I very much appreciated Peter being able to share that, and I hope that it was useful for you. Again, as I mentioned before, this is one of our AI Is Here episodes brought to you by SambaNova. You can learn more about SambaNova at SambaNova.com AI-Is-Here easy enough to find that little landing page there and learn more from them. We have more episodes coming up in this AI is here series every Wednesday. So be sure to stay tuned. This has been a fun one for me. I hope it's been for you as well. And I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.